Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Lunchroom Podcast. In today's episode, episode six, we're going to start off with the championship breakdown. First, I would like to give a shout out to my main man, Will Hall. He did predict the game correctly, said Georgia would win by 10 plus, and all of us picked Bama. So hats off, Will. Um, round of applause to you. So let's let's dive in a little of the game and break it down a little. So we're going to first start off by talking about Georgia's defense. They won the game for Georgia. That The difference in the game was that Alabama could not score in the red zone. They kicked a field goal in the first quarter, two field goals in the second quarter, and then they finally scored a touchdown in the fourth and didn't score in the third quarter. So that was really the big obstacle that Alabama had to go against and what really won them the game. So Rhodes, Will, tell us a little about your thoughts on the game. Yeah, I thought um, the game was kind of different than I thought uh, it was going to go. I, I thought Alabama was going to be able to muster a little bit more points against the George defense. But uh, I got to give a lot of credit to Kirby Smart uh, specifically. You know, it seemed like maybe he switched up his game plan a little bit. Um, the, the blitz packages that they were sending at Bryce were very creative. And uh, Alabama offensive line obviously struggled. It felt like he was getting pressured every single time he dropped back. You know, shout out to Stetson Bennett, too. I, I know he, you know, he got a lot of a lot of hate um, specifically, you know, on, on this on this podcast. We, we were a little skeptical of him, but, uh, you know, he did he did a great job. He, he did enough for them to win. He did enough. And the defense obviously carry also a shout out to uh, Channing Tyndall, Spring Valley Viking graduate of 2018. Great game. Had a sack in the game. It was a really cool moment to see for him. But, yeah, as much as I hate to say it, congratulations to Georgia. Um, we'll see where they go from here. Yeah, I want to sure. definitely give uh, Georgia a lot of props. I mean, they they had – I think, you know, we'd all agree they were the most dominant team in college football this year. I think they had the best team. You know, I think you look at this, you know, as a Nick Saban Alabama team, I just don't think this is one of the better Alabama teams we've seen in a while, even though they made it to the championship and, you know, we're only a 15-point, you know, 15 points away from winning the national title. Um, I just don't think this was, you know, the Nick Saban team of old, they, uh, normal. You know, there a lot, a lot of youth on this Alabama team, and also, you know, another, you know, big thing to note is, you know, Alabama was out two of their best weapons in this game. I mean, look, I'm going to give Georgia all the credit in the world. You know, they won this game, but you know, Bryce Young's without his two tar- uh, best targets, John Mechie and uh, Jamison Williams, and I definitely think that played a role in the game. Even when Jamison Williams went out, I think you saw Georgia's defense turn it up a notch and say, hey. You know, they've got nobody to throw the ball to. I mean, just a bunch of young freshmen that, you know, probably weren't ready for the moment. But uh, definitely credit to Georgia and Coach Kirby Smart. They got it done. You know, a lot of people, you know, were doubting them. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if Kirby can continue to build um, an offense around what's been a very good defense that he's had since he's been at Georgia. Yeah, I would like to shout out Stetson Bennett. Um, He did what he needed to do um, after everyone doubted him all year and called for JT. Um, He didn't try to force anything, um, didn't try to do too much. He played his role as a game manager and understood his role on the team and won them a national championship as a former walk-on. So nothing but respect for him. Um, Kirby Smart, amazing coach. Um, him and Dan Lenning, who's now going to be at Oregon, who's going to be a great head coach, just as Will said, provides some great blitzes, some great um, schemes that they brought kind of differently than the SEC championship. Got Bryce Young running had negative rushing yards. Bryce Young actually threw the ball 57 times, 369 yards, and one touchdown with two picks. So the two picks 
definitely hurt them um, in the long run. I will say their two wide receivers being out was a huge difference. Obviously, it's no excuse. It's football, next man up. But it would have been a definitely a different game as there was that one big drop that I believe Jameson Williams, if he was playing, he would have scored on. So unfortunate. But, hey, it's football, next man up. So let me, let me ask you all this. Do you all think – I heard a lot of people kind of talking bad about Bryce Young after the, after the game – about saying he's not the best Heisman winner a couple years, blah, blah, blah. But after I read that, read that stat line, I'll read it again. 369 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, a QBR of 82.3. What do you all think? Well, look, I'll start. Um, first of all, I, I think, you know, that's that's an overreaction. Um, you know, I think, one, again, you know, I've said it all, you know, this season. Georgia's – that defense is probably a top five defense of college football, you know, in all of college football history. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think you can just take that one game. Um, and second, you know, like we said, you know, he was down his two best receivers, Bryce Young was. Um, and, you know, I still think he performed very well. Um, you know, I mean, obviously the two picks, but I think a lot of that was him, you know, trying to force the ball downfield to some receivers that he didn't have good chemistry with. Um, so I think, you know, in the big games when he's had his talent around him, you know, obviously – um, he played a lot better, but, you know, I, I think this was just one bad game for him, and I think um, he'll continue to get better and, you know, prove that, you know, he was deserving of the Heisman this year. Yeah, so I, I actually agree with Will here. I, I think he he played fine. I don't think he really had a bad game at all. You know, obviously he, he put a lot of throws on the money, was able, uh, you know, to make some very impressive throws, and a lot of them got dropped during that game. So I think, you know, next year uh, Bryce is only going to get better from here. And honestly, he, he's probably going to be the Heisman favorite heading into next year. And I, I really wouldn't be surprised if he ended up going back to back. But and I think, you know, a loss like this only really makes you better as a quarterback. And I think he, he did take a lot of responsibility. And for a young kid, that was really impressive uh, after listening to his press conference and kind of hearing what he said to the media. It was uh, really impressive by him. So, you know, I don't think. I don't think he played too bad. I think it's a little bit of an overreaction that he's, you know, might be the worst Heisman winner in the last five or ten years. So that's all I got to say about it. Well, one thing I like to add is, like, obviously in this game, like Alabama, you know, the game the game was lost in the trenches. I mean, it's hard to open up throws down the field when you're running. You know, they ran 28 times for 30 yards. That's about a yard a carry. I mean, that's just not going to get it done against a defense like Georgia. I mean, if they're stopping the run that easily with four or five guys in the box, I mean – it's going to be tough for Bryce Young to make throws. And you know what? When you're throwing the ball 57 times like he did, I think you're bound to throw a pick or two. So, you know, you know it happens. I think it was just one bad game against a really good defense in Georgia. Yeah, just to sum that up, I think all the, the hate is unwarranted. Um, big stage against a great, like Rhodes said, top five all-time defense. So definitely unwarranted. He'll be back next year, and I believe he'll have a great year. Well, so one thing I'll ask you all before we wrap up is, you know, do you think Alabama at full strength would have given Georgia – I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. I won't ask if they would have given Georgia a better game. But if you put Mechie and Williams back on the, the field, are y'all taking Georgia Alabama? I mean, y'all took Alabama to begin with, so I'm assuming you would still take Alabama. But, you know, just how much of an impact do you think that made on the game? Yeah, I honestly think it made it made a huge impact. Uh, we saw what Alabama was able to do to them at full strength. Obviously, I think Georgia would have played better defensively. It's always easier to play a team a second time on defense. But, um, I, you know, I actually still think Georgia probably would have won the game. But I also think people are looking at this game very differently because Keely Ringo ends up taking that pick to the house. Like, say he just goes down like all the coaches were telling him to. They win by a touchdown, basically. They would have won by eight points. And I think maybe – 
people kind of look at that game a little bit differently with the score if he had just gone down. Obviously, he didn't. But I think it would have been a much more competitive game. I would not have been surprised if that would have uh, lifted Alabama over Georgia, but I probably still would have taken Georgia with how well their defensive line played all game. Gotcha. No, I definitely think that's a great point that you bring up. I mean, he just, you know, slides on that pick return. You know, Georgia only ends up winning by eight. So that's a very good point you brought up there. So it really was a, you know, the score doesn't indicate how close that game was. And um, so now we're moving to the NFL. And I think the biggest, you know, point of emphasis from this past weekend was, you know, everybody was talking about, oh, if, and we even talked about on this podcast, I know Alan brought it up last episode, you know, there's the potential where Las Vegas is playing the LA Chargers. And if they tie, they both made the playoffs. Well, the Colts lost against the Jaguars on the road. And this scenario was set up perfectly as Justin Herbert led the Chargers down in a like a one-minute drive down the field to tie the game versus the Raiders. And the Chargers like to not to go for two. They take it overtime in a tie game. So the stage is set. Everyone's thinking, oh, it's got to happen. And they send this game to overtime, and we're about 40 seconds left. It's tied. Both teams end up kicking field goals. It looks like the Raiders are going to run the clock out, and the Chargers coach calls timeout while the Raiders have the ball at, like, the 40. So he calls timeout with 40 seconds left, setting up the Raiders to kick a field goal. Didn't understand the call. I think the Raiders are going to run the clock out and take the tie. They end up not taking the tie, running a play, getting about eight yards, and then being able to kick a field goal for Daniel Carlson. But just what an interesting and electric game, too. I mean, the Chargers went for fourth down at least, like, maybe five or six times, Rose, wouldn't you say? I mean, it was a great game. Shame a team had to lose, but definitely one of the – the big uh, stories from week 18 was the ending of that game. I know Rhodes wants to add to it. Yeah, so honestly, that was one of the most um, just interesting, just exciting football games I've probably ever watched. I mean, start to finish, it was just – it honestly seemed like it was fixed for them to tie. I mean, with how many fourth downs that Herbert was able to get for the Chargers, uh, it was it was very impressive. You know, they were able to get this game to overtime, and then at the end, you know, obviously everyone knows they, they take the timeout and they're able to kick the field goal and – I know one kind of clip that went viral was one of the players on uh, the Chargers told, basically told one of the Raiders players, um, you know, that basically asked him, like, are you are, are you guys going to just, you know, take the tie or run the clock out? And the Raiders player said that that was, you know, basically that was the plan before the timeout happened, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, you know, you know, you'll never really know. We won't know for sure. You know, obviously Vegas, uh, they're always going to say that they, you know, they tried to win that game. You know, everything was in line for them to win, but it, it's hard to, it's hard to believe it with the way that they kind of played that last possession when they crossed midfield, um, when it seemed like they could have easily gotten into field goal range earlier and just won the game. So I thought it was a really cool game. Obviously I wanted to see both of those teams in the playoffs. Instead we get Pittsburgh, which is kind of, eh, but um, really exciting game and definitely uh, good for the NFL to kind of end the season that way. And so, uh, you know, I mentioned this earlier, but, you know, the stipulation that had to happen, you know, to set this game up for the tie scenario was the Colts had to lose to the, I believe, like the two and 15 Jaguars at the time, um, who had, you know, basically would have secured the number one pick with a loss. So it just, to me, it seemed like the perfect scenario for them to, you know, lose the Colts win, Colts make the playoffs, Jaguars lock up the number one pick. Well, Jaguars and Trevor Lawrence threw that out the window. Trevor Lawrence had probably his best game of his rookie season um, against the Colts. And they they really just dominated, I think, on both sides of the ball. I mean, Carson Wentz and Jonathan Taylor really couldn't get going. And Trevor Lawrence had a great game. Um, so the Colts go and lose. And, you know, Colts had a um, contract with Hard Knocks this year. 
I think it gave a lot of NFL fans an insight to their team and their coaching staff. Definitely a tough way for them to go out with all the momentum they had built late in the season. But um, yeah, definitely a strong win for the Jaguars. They uh, still retain the number one pick since the Detroit Lions ended up winning as well. But uh, yeah, interesting to see how the Jags will use that as momentum for next season. Yeah, kind of looking at the Colts game, kind of breaking it down. Um, Carson Wentz had a QBR of 4.4. The average QBR is a 50. Their their O-line got destroyed by the Jags. They just That was probably one of the worst Colts loss in history. You win, you go to the playoffs, you have the – an offensive player of the year, basically, um, just have a decent game and you get the award. 15 carries for 77 yards, no touchdowns. They absolutely got shown up by the Jaguars. Trevor was kind of being doubted. People were saying, well, is Trevor broken? Like, is, is he the same? Blah, blah, blah. 223 yards and two touchdowns. Pretty good day. So, yeah, the Jaguars ruined the Colts playoff hopes and send them send them packing so now as we talk a little about the offensive player of the year and Jonathan Taylor who's no longer now we're going to talk a little bit about the Cowboys um Cowboys versus 49ers so the Cowboys got back on track with a big win over the Eagles um Dak has a huge game and gets his confidence back so the Cowboys are the first team in NFL history to feature a 4,000 yard passer Dak a 1,000 yard rusher Zeke and a 1,000-yard receiver, C.D. Lamb, and a player with 10-plus sacks, Micah Parsons, and a player with 10-plus interceptions, and Trayvon Diggs. So they've got some very good pieces on their team, but they haven't been to an NFC Championship in 27 years. A lot of people are picking the 49ers to upset them. What do you all think? Yeah, I think this is it's one of those games where I, I really could see it going either way. And I'm normally not one to kind of pick the trendy upset pick. I feel like this is the one that everyone's going to go with this weekend just because, you know, a lot of people did watch that 49ers game um, against the Rams, who are, you know, obviously one of the better teams in the league. But it's just uh, for me, it, it comes down to I just don't know if I can trust Dallas uh, in the playoffs. I mean, my whole life, they've just not been good in the playoffs. I mean, you know, they either they get kind of screwed by a call or they, you know, make a huge mistake late that, you know, jeopardizes their win or whatever. So I feel like something like that happens again. Some freak thing happens at the end of this game, and I'll take the 49ers. I'll take the South Carolina boy, Debo Samuel. I think he has another big game, and uh, he's a matchup nightmare for any team. I think he'll exploit the Cowboys' defense. Yeah, I definitely think if I were a Cowboys fan, I would have been rooting really hard for us to somehow – for the Cowboys to somehow draw the Eagles. I think the Eagles are just – and I know I talked about how I like the Eagles um, as a possible upset team. They have the Bucks. I do not see them faring well against the Bucks. Just wanted to mention that. But I'm a big Kyle Shanahan guy. Who, for those of you who don't know, is the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers. He's a very uh, he's got a very interesting offense. He's got a lot of trick plays, odd motions. He does a lot with Debo Samuel. You know, he's started as a wide receiver. They even you know threw a pass with him this past weekend. He threw a touchdown pass to Jawan Jennings, a former Tennessee wide receiver. So. You know, I've been back and forth on this game. You know, I definitely think the 49ers can upset the Cowboys. Um, but, you know, also there's something different about this Cowboys team to me um, than in years past. I think Dak's much more experienced. And I think they finally have some defensive pieces that they've been lacking in the past. Their offensive line's always been decent. Zeke's been there. He's been very solid for them. And, I, you know, I think they've got a lot more weapons they receiving than they had in the past. Dalton Schultz has really come on of late this season. 
Um, so actually, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go with the Cowboys this weekend, but you know, I, I think it'll be a great game and, you know, one definitely we should all keep an eye on. I think it'll be a great game as well, but I'm going to have to roll with the Cowboys too. Um, I think Dan Quinn gets that defense ready, um, and gets them prepared. And I think actually the Patriots bills game is going to be closer as I believe they've split games this year. Um, they both know each other very well. And so we'll see. We'll see how that one turns out in the AFC. So now we're going to get into a little Super Bowl picks. Unless, Rose, you want to say something? Yeah, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Patriots-Bills game. Uh, Obviously, for those people who have listened to the past few podcasts, the Patriots were kind of like my little Cinderella team when we had to pick one. And I think, honestly, this matchup was perfect. We did talk about last week if this was the the matchup that uh, they got with the Bills, um, that it was going to – I thought they would actually fare well in the matchup. The weather is looking exactly like it did when they played in the regular season when the game was in Buffalo on Monday night, and um, the Patriots were able to win that game. So, honestly, I I think they might do something similar with Mac Jones this week and maybe have him throw less than five passes, maybe less than ten passes, something like that. And I I wouldn't be surprised if if the Patriots uh, Patriots get this done. I think it's it's perfectly set up for them to win. I think, you know, it would be a blunt opportunity if they don't win this game. Um, I feel like the stars are kind of lining right for him. So that's pretty much all I have to say about that. All right. Now into some Super Bowl picks. So, Will, start us off. Tell us who you have picked for the Super Bowl. So, you know, as we talked about earlier in the podcast, I had Green Bay and Kansas City. And both have been winning games for the most part. I know Kansas City tripped up on the road at Cincinnati. But, um, you know, I feel very confident with both those two teams. You know, I think – you know, one key is they both have a lot of offensive weapons, not necessarily great defenses, but defenses that, you know, do enough. Um, and they have veteran quarterback play that, you know, you know, under pressure Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes are going to make good plays. One thing I hate about this is this is a very, you know, kind of basic, pretty, you know, going with the two, you know, two of the better teams in the NFC and AFC. But, you know, I think this is, you know, kind of Rodgers last hoorah, as we've talked about before with the, uh, with the Packers. Um, and I think, you know, he wants to go out on a high note if this were to be, does end up being his last season with the Packers. And I just think everyone kind of, you know, at the beginning of the season, the Chiefs struggled. And I think everyone kind of wrote them off. Um, I obviously really am in love with, you know, what Joe Burrow has been doing in Cincinnati lately, but I just, it's hard to beat Kansas City in the postseason. It'll be interesting to see for me, how Derrick Henry does coming back with the Titans. I, you know, I could definitely see them beating the Chiefs if he comes back into form immediately. But my thing is he's missed so much. I just I don't see him being immediately the same Derrick Henry over the past few regular seasons. And that's why I'm gonna take the Chiefs to beat them in the playoffs if they were to meet in the AFC title game. So I'll take Chiefs and Packers as I did early in the podcast. So uh, I'm actually going to really flip from what I thought, you know, from from my podcast uh, picks originally. So I had the Patriots and the Bucks, uh kind of more based on the storyline. You know, it was going to be Brady against Belichick, which was, you know, really cool. But obviously I did pick that before the whole Antonio Brown thing happened with the Bucks. You know, that they've had a lot of injuries on offense. And I just don't think that that offense they have right now is going to be enough to beat Green Bay. So I'm going to take Green Bay out of the NFC, which it seems like will probably be the most common pick. And then out of the AFC, I'm going to switch it up. I'm going to take the Bengals, um, you know, Cincinnati Bengals, which I, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But 
you know, I'm kind of a sucker for some good offense. They're a really fun team to watch. I think them and the Chiefs would be a really, really fun AFC championship game if we were lucky enough to get that. And if all the higher seeds win, they will get Tennessee in the second round, which I think actually would be a good matchup for them. I actually think they would probably beat Tennessee. So then after that, they have to win one more game. So I'll, t- I'll take the Bengals. I'll uh, kind of switch it up a little bit. Um, I, I'm really tempted to take the Chiefs, but I know sometimes – and then if I'll play off, kind of weird, weird things happen. So I'll, I'll go against the grain and take the Bengals. I really like that Bengals pick. I think they'll make it to the AFC Championship um, playing the Chiefs if all the higher seeds win and everything works out. Um, I do think out of the NFC, going to go with my original pick and um, take the Packers. I think the Bucks, as you said, are a little too injured right now. Um, Aaron Rodgers absolutely balling MVP. Um, nothing, nothing stopping them until the Super Bowl, and then I'm gonna go have to go with the Chiefs, um, the more experienced team. The Bengals are there, but they don't have as much playoff experience as many veterans as the Chiefs do. Um, and I think the Chiefs will turn it on at the right time, as they've kind of shown lately, other than their loss to the Bengals. Um, and so I got Packers, Chiefs, which is what I originally said. So now moving a little coaching talk, Bruce Arians said Brady should win MVP. I believe he said it was a travesty if he doesn't. What are, you, what are y'all's thoughts on this? Yeah, um, I think actually most years Tom Brady probably would win MVP, but you just can't discount what Aaron Rodgers has done this year for that team, especially after, you know, they, they started out, a lot of people forget, you know, the Saints destroyed them in their first game of the season. And I think that just kind of flipped the switch for them. And, you know, the statistics have been ridiculous. And you just you watch the two of them play, you know, obviously Brady's very impressive. He's the greatest of all time. But I think this specific year, it's got to be Aaron Rodgers. But I I do think Brady should probably finish in second. One thing I will say is Tom Brady does lead in total touchdowns, passing yards, um, yards per game. Basically, all of the main stats Brady leads in this year. Now, part of that is because Brady's played more games. He has a lot more attempts than Rodgers because I know Rodgers missed the Chiefs game that Jordan Love played in when they played on the road. Um, But I think like a few of the only like Rodgers leads by 0.3 in QBR and, you know, slightly more in passer rating. Um, But basically any of your main stats, touchdowns, passing yards, yards per game, completions, completion percentage, Rodgers is all he trails Brady and all of those. So it definitely is a weird scenario, but I just think with the way Rogers has led this team and elevated his team, I think Rogers play has elevated the Packers. I don't necessarily think Brady has done that on the Bucks this year. I mean, obviously Brady's an immense talent, but I just think what Rogers has done can't be ignored this year. And he'll probably, he should win back to back. But if it is a statistical award, I would say it's Brady's. So it kind of just depends on how you want to, distribute this award if it's purely off statistics it should definitely be Brady so I that's definitely there's definitely an argument for Tom Brady and Bruce Arians all right now talking a little more coaching but now coaches they got fired recently um the Dolphins messed a big time with Brian Flores I believe um he was doing great things with the Dolphins in Miami um building a young culture a lot of people were very shocked by this fire some of the players were taken aback um he I believe he finished with a winning record, if not close to it. Um, but give me y'all's thoughts on this this fire. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was really interesting. You know, it seemed like he was kind of turning the Dolphins around. I know, you know, in, in our lifetime, the Dolphins have honestly been really bad for a majority of it. So I, I just don't know where 
how there's any kind of precedent saying like, you know, this guy can't do it. Um, it's not like, you know, it's the, he's the Patriots coach or something. And they've had sustained success. They know what it looks like. The Dolphins really don't know what success at least recently looks like. And I think he was slowly starting to get there. You know, it was going to take a while. Obviously, I don't think Tua has been what they thought he would be quite yet. So he's kind of had to deal with that. Um, they play in a pretty tough division there. They got the Patriots and the Bills every single year, twice a year. So I, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. I think he'll, you know, wherever he ends up next, I'm sure he'll get a head coaching job somewhere else. I, th- I think he'll he'll do fine there, you know, regardless of what the team is. And I think he'll, uh, as Alan said, you know, the culture was just, it, it just seemed like they all kind of bought into what he was saying. And I don't think it probably went over well with the players that they fired him. Yeah, and I know that, you know, with Matt Rule struggling how he has and he still has a job, and then Joe Judge up at the New York Giants not having a lot of success, to this point they have still kept him as the Giants football coach for next year. Um, the fact that the Dolphins fired Flores was, I, I mean, just a, a very big surprise. Um, I mean, he, I believe, had a winning record. It might not have been by much. I think he might have been up one game, like 19 and 18 or something like that in his years there, but – I, you know, I think Rhodes hit, hit, hit it on the head. I mean, you know, the Dolphins haven't had a lot of success recently. He's gotten them, you know, in the final week of the season with the chance to make the playoffs the last two seasons. Um, so, you know, I don't think there's much more you could ask for for what he's done. And, you know, two is just a developmental quarterback. We're going to – jury still out on him if he can, you know, be a successful leader of an NFL team. It's looking like no, but – um, I think Flores has done a good job with what he's been dealt with, and I think this was this this is definitely a missed opportunity by the Dolphins. They had a they had a good coach in house that they let go. I think he'll definitely be hired somewhere elsewhere um, very soon. But um, moving on to more coaches fired, the Vikings coach was fired and their GM um, this past week, and Matt Nagy was fired from the Bears, and then David Coley was fired by, from the Texans, which is an absolute awful move I don't understand it he was a first year coach um he was getting thrown into a sinking ship um and he outperformed any and all expectations um the Texans decision process has been skewed and continues to be skewed when they made Bill O'Brien GM and head coach it was just an unbelievable awful decision my only thought process with this is maybe they can get another coach like Brian Flores to take the job and then maybe Deshaun will be open to staying there under a new coach. That would be my only thought process is why they would do this. Will, what do you think? You know, that's, I, I completely forgot about the whole Deshaun Watson saga in Houston. Um, it is impressive what they did with the, down there with, you know, is it Davis Mills? I believe is his name. You know, he actually, you know, played very well for them. I think, you know, down the stretch of the season. I mean, obviously there weren't any world beaters or anything, but, they did pick up some strong wins. I'm interested. You know, I'm glad that you brought up the Deshaun Watson point, and I don't want to stay on this for too long. But to me, it seems like the Texans have done too much shopping of him to keep him at this point. That's just me. I think even if Deshaun were to decide he really wants to come back and play football, I still think the Texans would have to deal him with you know everything that's gone down. I just think a new scenery is just a must. Like I think. If they were to keep him in Houston, you know, you would still get all the same, you know, oh, the masseuses or whatever. I think, you know, a change of scenery and just a new franchise for him is just a must. Whether, you know, the Texans want him to be successful or not, um, I think they should 
they'll they'll have to move him at some point, even if if he if he even can return to football, which I don't think is guarantee. Rose, I know you have some stuff to add. So yeah, um, you know, kind of back to the original, you know, point Allen was making with the coaches that have been fired. I know like the Matt Nagy thing in Chicago made a lot of sense. I think, you know, that, that guy kind of sucks. I, I just don't think he was ever going to do anything there. Um, might as well bring a, you know, new guy with excitement with your young quarterback, kind of pair them together, a guy that Fields can get along with and he likes and uh, see what they could do. Zimmer just didn't seem to be the right guy in Minnesota. Um, just didn't seem like the culture was very good there because they actually have some pieces, honestly, to, in my opinion, to be a very good team, a competitive team every single year. And one thing that really stuck out to me about that was when they were playing and Kirk Cousins had COVID and I I think it was Sean Mannion who ended up getting the start in the game when they played at Green Bay. It was a big game. It was basically to decide, you know, if they were still going to somehow be in the playoff hunt or not. And they asked him about Kellen Mond, who was, uh, you know, as we know, uh, a very good college quarterback. For those who don't know, he was a quarterback at Texas A&M, a rookie this year. And he was, you know, a very solid college quarterback. And, he basically, in a, not even a nice way, but just um, to summarize what he said, basically, you know, he's he's not going to get a chance. I don't want to see him on the field. So that was very interesting. And I, I just don't think you say something like that to the media. Um, but to shift over to the Coley situation did not make a lot of sense to me. Uh, they, they competed with a lot of teams this year. Uh, they beat the Titans, who was the number one seed in the AFC. And when you're dealt with the whole Deshaun Watson thing, basically from the start, I, I just – I was very impressed with how they played. Um, they competed, you know, day in, day out. Those boys did not give up on him. And, uh, you know, Davis Mills had a, had a pretty solid year for him. But uh, to agree with Will's point, I, I do think that the Texans need to shop Deshaun Watson if he's able to come back and play in the NFL, which obviously is no guarantee. And I just think for the fans of Houston, so Houston fans, obviously, with the Astros are hearing all these trash can jokes and stuff all the time. And then if you add the masseuse jokes, I mean, those those poor people – so I, I think just for the best interest of the city, for the franchise, I think you just kind of get rid of them. And I think you'll get a pretty, pretty decent package for them. So um, if anyone else has anything to add about that, they can go ahead and do that now. OK, so uh, shifting away from football and more into basketball, we're going to hit college basketball first. So obviously a uh, big South Carolina fan and it's it's hard to be a South Carolina basketball fan, but you know, I, I still do it. But Dropped uh, a midweek game to Tennessee uh, the other night, Tuesday night, lost by, you know, 22 points after a huge win over Vanderbilt uh, over the weekend. For for those who don't really follow South Carolina basketball a lot, Vanderbilt is a place that South Carolina struggles pretty much every time we play there. It generally goes bad, and we were able to get a big win against them. Uh, this Saturday, we got Florida at home. It is an absolutely huge opportunity. but And it's one, in my opinion, I mean, I, I hate throwing around the must-win kind of game, but I think this is as close as you get to it. Uh, if you're, you're one and two in the SEC right now, if you start one and three, then you got to go to Fayetteville, Arkansas in the midweek, and then, you know, you might start one and four. So uh, a lot of Carolina fans are really, really thinking that this might be Frank's last year if he doesn't, you know, prove it to us that, you know, he should stay. And so I was looking into a few statistics because our team's been really, really bad offensively this year. So we're 341st in turnover percentage. Um, I, I don't know how exactly the number of how many Division One basketball teams there are, but I know it's not many more than 341. And so we turn the ball over 23% of all our possessions, which is basically almost one in every four times we touch the ball, we turn the ball over, which is honestly ridiculous. I, I've never 
I've never even watched a team like that in my life. Uh, we are shooting like 30% from three, you know, around there this year, I think like 31.5%. That's about 250th this year. And then we're 338th in free throw percentage, which since Frank has been here, has been a huge issue. I don't know why we have never figured it out. No matter who's on the team, we can't shoot free throws. So obviously it's a huge win uh, against Vandy last weekend, but a big loss against Tennessee. And we'll kind of see where we go from here. So I know, Will, you might have things to add about that. Yeah, I mean, it is remarkable to even think that, you know, we're turning the ball over close to one-fourth of every possession we have. And another thing is, it's crazy. This year, South Carolina's got a free-throw shooter, Eric Stevenson. I mean, that dude is lights out from the free-throw line, and we're still near the bottom in free-throw percentage just because, you know, some of our bigs and other guards. I mean, Carter, he's kind of been inconsistent at the line for the Gamecocks. I know Kuznard hasn't gotten there to him. Keyshawn Bryant's just been – kind of a disappointment this year for the Gamecocks um, in his senior season. So, yeah, just not a lot of things looking up for the Gamecocks right now. There is some young talent, but definitely a huge game and a big opportunity Saturday against the Florida Gators. Alan, why don't you uh, move us into some Clemson basketball? All right, now talking about the best team, basketball team in South Carolina. Now talking about the best team in South Carolina, the Clemson Tigers, um, who beat South Carolina. We play Boston College this weekend on the 15th. Boston College has lost their last five games, and one of those losses was to Albany, the Albany Great Danes. Just an embarrassing loss. So Clemson should be a pretty easy game for them. They're 10-6. and Um, As I've said before, kind of leading the charge is P.J. Hall, um, the sophomore. And so, yeah. Just see this team shaping together. We kind of look like a bubble team for the tournament right now. Um, we can shoot the three ball very well. So just kind of getting our feet under us in conference play. Got a big win versus at NC State um, two weekends ago and then got blown out at Notre Dame a few nights ago. So up and down losses, road games are tough. But we will see with this team where we go. All right, now going into the NBA. Rose, tell us a little bit about Clay's return. Yeah, so, you know, us as basketball fans, it was it was really cool to see Clay Thompson back on the floor again, um, you know, against the Cleveland Cavaliers. It was – you could tell how kind of emotional it was for, for Steph, you know, before the game. He, they were all just really amped up to play. You could kind of tell with the way Clay came out, he was just really, really amped up to get some shots up. But, you know, soon enough we, we saw, you know, we saw classic clay. We even saw him get, you know, catch a body, got a poster. That was pretty cool to see. But, you know, we saw him creating his own shot, um, hitting those mid-range jumpers like we know he can. And I'm really, really looking forward to watching the Warriors this year with him. You know, they already were the best team in the league record-wise. We'll see if, you know, with they get even better with him. So, um, obviously, you know, they're one of the, the best teams in the league. But, I know that Alan want to talk about two teams that were kind of, you know, not expected to be two of the better teams in the league that have uh, surprised a lot of people. So, if Alan, you want to take that away? So, first, I wanted to talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers. I did not realize how good they were until I watched in Clay's return game when they played the Cavs. Um, I didn't realize they had gotten better so quickly. I thought it and um, thought it'd take them a little bit. Colin Sexton wasn't even playing in that game, but behind Darius Garland. Um, Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, they've had some very good play. Um, I believe they are sixth in. Yeah, they're they're sixth in the East right now. They're sixth in the East right now, and so they've 
just shot up and surprised a bunch of people. Um, ever since LeBron left, they haven't been relevant, relevant, but now they are again. So that is very cool to see. And on the other side of it, the Grizzlies in the West, they are the third seed in the West. And who saw this coming? Ja Morant has really built this team up, has led this team. Um, he's having an all-star worthy year and finally getting the respect he deserves after everyone's kind of been sleeping on him um, these past two years. So those are the two kind of sleeper up-and-coming teams. It's cool to see them. Rose, tell us a little bit about the Celtics versus the Knicks game. Yeah, so this was a, a big game in the NBA last week. A lot of people saw um, RJ, obviously, you know, banks in the three at the buzzer. Really, really good basketball game to watch for the Knicks to win. But these are two teams, you know, kind of shifting – uh, away from what Alan was saying, two teams that are kind of the opposite that were expected to be better than they have been this year are the Celtics and the Knicks. Obviously, the Celtics have dealt with a lot of COVID issues this year and a uh, new coach. Um, the Knicks, you know, the Knicks were the fourth seed in the East last year, and it they're a tough basketball team to watch at times, especially defensively. So I am very interested to see how these two teams, you know, re- they obviously both have all-stars on their teams. They have pretty solid rosters. There's no excuse for them to be this bad. So I'm very interested to see. Uh, what happens as we approach, you know, the all-star break into the second half of the year. Uh, one thing I was really, really wondering was, are these teams going to make moves? We already saw the Knicks make a move uh, acquiring Cam Reddish today. So uh, we'll see where these teams go from here. But if you guys have anything to add to that, you can go ahead and uh, do that. So one thing I will say about that Celtics game is it was a great game for the NBA. Um, you know, I think you saw Jason Tatum play really well down the stretch, um, prove, you know, that he's a superstar. But, you know, I think you just saw the Knicks, you know, really grind it out. And just honestly, let's be real, just throw up a prayer at the end there to beat the Celtics. Um, it was a lucky shot. I mean, but don't get me wrong. Basketball sometimes is a game of luck. You know, sometimes the ball's going to bounce away. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, but it, it's going to be interesting to see what the Celtics do down the stretch. I mean, they're 21 and 21 right now. They're 500. They're sitting at the 10th seed in the conference. Um, so, you know, they've. Jason, uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown really got to find it out and find it out quick before someone gets dealt. And I'm thinking more likely it will be Jalen Brown. Um, I think the Celtics are in trouble right now. I think Jason Tatum has never been clutch. He is an all-star caliber player. He's certainly a great player. Not a, good he, not a good take, but continue. Name one clutch time he has had. Jason Tatum is good. Clutch doesn't just mean you're hitting a shot with zero seconds on the clock. Clutch is, you know, we need a bucket down with down two with two minutes to go. And Jason Tatum has done that time and time again. He kept him in the next game. The next day we're down two. He hit the game tying shot. Do you not remember that? In a regular season game, he he had a game time shot early for the All Star break. Whoopie dude, that man's clutch now. He played he played very well against the Nets in the postseason. They were just outmatched last year. I I, I think the Celtics. Either way, they are in trouble. That duo is not going to win a championship together unless they get more pieces around them. They need help. Um, They've been together for a while. I mean, I don't know how many more years you can give them, one or two. One thing I wanted to say, and this this just a little bit away from the Jason Tatum conversation, but last night the Nets and Bulls faced off. And I don't know if y'all know, but I mean, y'all know because you're tracking, but our listeners, the Chicago Bulls with DeMar DeRozan, Lonzo Ball, and other players, they are the number one team in the Eastern Conference right now, um, and they played the Nets last night. Not a very close game or a strong showing for the Bulls. They ended up losing by about 26. But uh, I was just interested to pick y'all's brains. You know, do y'all think the Bulls are a legit contender to you know compete with teams like the Heat, the Bucks, and the Nets? 
I don't, but I'm interested to hear y'all's takes. Yeah, um, I don't either. Honestly, I, I think they're kind of pretenders right now. I think they're a cool story. I think DeMar's kind of had like a career resurrection in Chicago. And I think the league's better when Chicago's good. Obviously, they have all the history in the 90s, you know, a lot of the championships there. But I'm a big Lonzo Ball guy. He's not as good as his brother, I will say that. But uh, they've been a fun team to watch this year. But I do think I, there may be a team that could win one playoff series, but I don't think they'll go much further than that. So that that's pretty much all I got to say about that. I think they'll definitely win in the first round. Um, as Rhodes said, great team, great story. Love seeing DeMar DeRozan um, kind of have a comeback in his career. Um, I don't like how I see House of Highlights post every single great play they have every day. Everyone is just loving the Bulls. Um, so, yeah, it does get a little annoying. I think the Nets in the playoffs will – have their chemistry together, probably have Kyrie back and will be and the Bulls will be no match for the Nets. Yeah, I definitely think we'll see, you know, farther as this as the season, you know, progresses. I think you'll see teams like the Bulls kind of slide down maybe to the three or four spot um when their schedule gets a little bit tougher. But you know, I definitely, you know, agree. It's it's been good for the NBA seeing Chicago um have some talent. They haven't really had a lot of talent since Derrick Rose has been there. So it's good to see the um, NBA world get excited about Chicago again. It is really cool to see that. And I will say, shout out to the Thunder tonight, my team. They just beat the Nets 130 to 109. Shy, give that man some respect. 33 points, 10 rebounds, nine assists. Outshining James Harden with 26, seven rebounds, and nine assists. Put some respect on Shy's name. He is an all star this year. Give him the respect he deserves. Alan, that is a great one for, for the Thunder. I'm not trying to take anything away from it, but the, the Nets were out with Kyrie was not playing. Joe Harris didn't play. Nicholas Claxton didn't play. LaMarcus Aldridge didn't play. And Kevin Durant. Now, don't get me wrong. The Nets with just James Harden alone, I think, are a better, a better team than the Thunder, and I think they should have won that game. But definitely an impressive win. SGA is not getting enough love, and part of that is just because he's in OKC. Um, it is a shame that they haven't been able to produce while he's been there, but – Definitely a strong one for the Thunder, and maybe they'll find, you know, something to build off of, even though they're 14 and 27 to start the season. Yeah, Thunder definitely rebuilding. Hopefully they can make some good picks. Um, Josh Giddy, youngest player ever to get a triple-double in the NBA. Hopefully he can start blossoming some more. Um, it is tough to hear all those players out for the Nets, but good a win is a win, as they say. Rhodes. So I think I'd be mad at myself if I didn't mention uh, my Charlotte Hornets getting some huge wins recently. They beat the Bucks twice uh, at home, and then they went to Philly and just won a game. They're seventh in the East right now. I wanted to get you guys' thoughts on the Hornets. Obviously, uh, Will and I might be a little biased towards them, but I really think we're we're close. I, I really think we're close to being we're we're kind of at that good team level right now. We're we're very close to being a great team. And I think in the next five years, you might you might need to watch out for Charlotte, you know, making a run in the East. But that's just me. Obviously, that might be a little biased. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for Charlotte that's really kept them from being, you know, a really good team in the past, even when they had Kimball Walker, is I think, you know, post-defense. You know, everyone says, you know, all that matters is a three ball. Well, what's killed the Hornets is players like Joel Embiid and uh, player, I mean, they haven't – Rhodes, when was the last time the Hornets beat the 76ers? I mean, it's been a long time. Yeah, it was, it was 2016. It was 16 times in a row. So, yeah. before last doesn't, time. Doesn't help when you have Cody Zeller. 
Oh, no, I agree. That's what I'm saying. I mean, the the post players that the Hornets have had have really caused them to struggle. They've had a lot of good guard play over the recent years. I mean, even before LaMelo Ball, I mean, Kemba Walker was really good for them. So, you know, I'm I'm really excited about the Hornets. I think we have a really good shot to make some noise. I think playoff matchups will be a very key for the Hornets. I do think there are some teams they wouldn't want to see. Um, but, you know, it is crazy. I mean, I thought Milwaukee would be a team that we the Hornets didn't match up well against. But, you know, after beating them twice in a row, you know, it just it might be a, a team that's really coming on strong lately and could definitely make some noise in the postseason. Yeah, you love to see the success from the Hornets as very fun player player to cheer on in LaMelo Ball. Um, hard to cheer against him. A lot of shakeup in the NBA this year. Lakers seventh in the West. Westbrook can't even hit the rim. He's hitting all different parts of the backboard that I don't even know you could hit as an NBA player. That is your job. I and I'm a Russell Westbrook fan, so saying that hurts me. Um, cheered him on his whole career. Obviously, something's not right for that man right now. But yeah, a lot of shakeup. Um, the Knicks and Hawks are the 11th and 12th seed after making the playoffs last year um, in the East. And so yeah, just a lot of craziness. We'll see what happens as we go into the All Star break soon. And Will, tell us what you think about the shakeup. Yeah, yeah. One thing about the Hawks, I think they've got to move Cam Reddish. I think he's a really good asset that they have. And I mean, I I, I don't think that they should trade him because he's not a good player because he's a really good player, but they don't have a need for him. I mean, they have Trey Young, who already is short and can't defend. And I think you put Cam Reddish out there, another guy who's not necessarily known for his defense, an offensive centered player. He just doesn't match up on the floor. If Trey Young's your guy in Atlanta, which he obviously is, I don't think Cam Reddish is a piece you want to pair with him. So I think that's a good piece that they could they could use to bring in some more veteran talent to maybe help them down the stretch. You know they traded Cam Reddish today, right? Are you serious? Did they really? I did we, not know that. They traded Cam Reddish's road set earlier on the podcast to the Knicks. They traded the Knicks. Wow. For that's Kevin awesome. Knox and uh second or first or second rounder? Yeah, something like that. So I thought it was a good move, but um yeah, I, I don't know about the Hawks, honestly. I might might ruffle some feathers with this one, but I don't think Trey Young's the number one on the championship team. I think he's a good number two, but I don't think he can ever be a one on championship team because he literally plays no defense, and it is embarrassing to watch him play defense. I mean, it's like it's like one of us going out there and trying to guard an NBA player, honestly. So, kind of, you, you do bring up a point, a good point about Cam Reddish. Um, I believe if you look at the stats, Cam Reddish's defensive impact grades the worst of any wing stopper over the last eight seasons. So you do bring up a good point there, Will, and I do agree that's that's a good trade for the Hawks. Um, we'll see what they get out of it. Hopefully they can give Trey another piece. But, uh, yeah, welcome to the Will News Network three days late. Yeah, so I'll, I'll kind of close with this. I, I think, honestly, it, it was good for both sides. I think the Knicks – you watch them play. They need another guy who could just put the ball in the basket sometimes. And, you know, maybe Cam's played with RJ before. Obviously, they played at Duke together. So, you know, keep putting these two guys back together. I obviously will have chemistry. Hopefully, it works out for them. But, you know, we'll we'll see. I'm hoping, uh, you know, I'm hoping these teams continue to struggle and that the Hornets keep climbing up the ladder. But we'll see. Will the Knicks get Zion? Everyone's talking about it. I mean, not really, but. You know, will they pair those three up again like they were at Duke? They didn't even win a championship at Duke. 
but will Zion lose some weight and get healthy? Um, I think it would be quite a story. And honestly, I'm not going to lie. It would make me excited to watch the Knicks if they had all three of them. But I just don't think the Knicks have anything that – I mean, first off, how are you going to play Zion Williamson and Julius Randle on the floor at the same time? I mean, but Julius just, Randle at center. I, I just It just seems like a very interesting pair to me. I think those are two paint-dominant players. Draymond, when they played small ball with the Warriors, he played center. If he can do it, I believe Julius Randle. Oh, I agree, but the 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 Knicks don't have the shooting that can space the floor like like the the Knicks Knicks do. The Knicks can't space the floor like that. I mean, teams are going to just pack the paint if they have both of them on the floor. But um, R- R- RJ Barrett proved you wrong and made you lose some money. He he did prove me wrong and made me lose some money while I was in Vegas. I did uh, unfortunately bet on the Celtics in that game, so I was. A big cheer for that. I was I was not one that was cheering very loud, but R.J. Barrett hit that shot. But um, no, I definitely think it would be a very cool story for the Knicks to acquire him. But I don't think the Knicks would be able to get him through trade just because I think the Pelicans, they've already put so much into him. I just don't think – I think their asking price would be very high. Um, and Zion's just good for TV. So, like, even if he's not doing much on the Pelicans, at least when he goes out there and plays, you know, he's good for TV. I know Rose wants to add to it. Yeah, I know a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people have been looking at this and kind of seeing, you know, how could they make it happen? It would be cool to see. But a lot of it really just depends on what Zion's, you know, quote unquote trade value in the NBA is right now. Uh, who, just who knows? I mean, you know, he's he's a guy that we know how good he can be when he can stay healthy. But obviously, you know, if they're asking prices a lot, the really only two young guys I could see them kind of able to, you know, get rid of in a trade would probably be Emmanuel Quickly and maybe Obi Toppin. And other than that, I, I don't really know if there was a younger. They're a very old team, actually. They have a lot of veterans who play on that team. So I think they would they would have to throw in a lot of picks. And um, I think Obi and Quickly would have to show in the next few weeks that they were worthy, you know, of, of that kind of trade. Maybe a bag of chips for Zion with his all his injuries right now. I will say they do – he is great for the team. Um, as I said earlier, he is one, another one of the players House of Highlights loves to post about Lonzo, when he when Lonzo was on the Pelicans, Lonzo to Zion, oh, Drew Brees. So I just want to thank y'all for listening to this episode of the Lunchroom Podcast. And uh, next week, I think we're going to analyze some of the first round of the NFL, and we'll give you a preview of the next round. Obviously, the Packers and Titans will come into play. We'll break down some Duke, South Carolina, and Clemson basketball, see how they fared over the weekend. And uh, maybe even talk some preview, a little bit of college baseball, and maybe – review the MLB lockout. So uh, get ready for the next episode and uh, we look forward to bringing it for you all.